0: At the end of the day, you got to have things done. You have to execute. I'm all about executing. That's the number one thing that I care about. And I don't care about words rather than just talking all the time. It's so much more important to actually just do the job and execute. And the results will show anyway. That was Erica Kang, founder at CryptoSoul.
1: I really enjoyed this conversation because it felt deeply human and authentic. Erica draws from over seven years of experience of organizing large events including Asia Beetle, initially in Korea and recently expanded into Vietnam and Hong Kong. Some of the topics that we cover include, but are not limited to, the transition from the Korean corporate world into crypto, a deep dive into Korean culture, including Du Kwon and beyond personal branding and community building, including actionable insights for all, and some spicy takes around what would it take to get to mass adoption. Hint, we need better marketing. Along the way, there are countless stories that are inspiring and entertaining. Without further ado, I'll let you enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Erica Kang. Enjoy! Hello friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Wild User Interviews podcast with me, AVB. Today I've got with me Erica Kang, founder at Cryptosoul and top 10 finalist of the Women in Web3 Changemakers contest. Congratulations, Erica. Welcome.
0: Thank you. Good to be here.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to have you. Look, I have to confess, there's a group of guests that I've got shortlisted. And they're shortlisted almost like on a waiting list Mm because I deem them to be too big. So I want to make sure that I can time to when they're available, that it's not a nuisance, that I can get the most value out of them that I can. So yeah, you're on that list. You're you're one of the big ones.
0: (laughs) Thank you. I'm very honored.
1: And that perception is probably influenced because every time that I see you, you're literally running around a venue. Mm -hmm. You are responsible for this massive events. I think we've seen each other at uh, two Asia Beatles now at a- a- ETHSoul. So Hibbi, okay. why don't you tell us a little bit more about how Crypto Soul got started. And I'm really curious how it has evolved over time because I can see the final product now and it's quite impressive.
0: Thank you. And I'm
1: just really curious what it takes to get to that level.
0: Where do I begin? So Soul began early 2018. I joined the space in 2017 and I realized, okay, if I need to filter the projects that I work with, I need to have a personal brand. So I think that's when I really started to, like in the beginning, to have a personal brand. And that was Crypto Soul. And Soul, it's like very direct crypto and Soul. A lot of projects wanted to come to the Korean community, but they didn't know how to. They didn't know who to trust. So I became that person who they could come to and they would not be scammed nor deceived, whatever, take advantage of. And I think I held most of their like first meetups back in the day, which was like pretty monumental. I was very the layer ones in the ICO. I was the one who was in charge of all, of all of that, which was a privilege. And that's when I accumulated my network and my trust building as well. And I continued very consistently of my activities, and I try to be new platform agnostic and also tech friendly and I think that message really came across to the platforms and projects. I've been really going nonstop for six years now, it's, yeah almost six years now, and it's been crazy, but I think as time goes by, people now know what I do, what I believe in, and so it's been increasingly easier, but at the same time. It, the degree of the, the work that I do is getting bigger and bigger.
1: There's something that you mentioned on the five-minute interview with uh, the Women in Web3 interview yeah. series. Yes. This is what we go for two hours. I thought it was really interesting that you mentioned that it's very important to be mindful of who you're engaging with and to filter out. Mm-hmm. And I love that you mentioned it as something that you were aware of even back in 2017. Do you have any stories or any analogies that would really paint a picture as to why that is really important? Because if you've been around since 2017, there's a few bear markets and a few trends that have all ended in disaster. So I'm really curious what you've experienced in your end of
0: the world. Yes. I can't name the projects, but... There's been a number of dangerous ICOs. Oh, there's an interesting story. So when I just entered the space, I started to do my own studies. So I went to a lot of events just here and there in Korea to see the landscape and how it's ends. I tried learning through YouTube videos, try to search everything that was available. And so one of the events that I came across just happened to be in my neighborhoods. So OK, let's just, you know, drop by, see how it is like an ICO information seminar I'm like oh how bad can it be maybe I can learn something so I go there and there's these bunch of like guys in suits no offense but there's a guy in suits and they're lined up and there's all these grandmas and grandpas like the older age seniors one of those like those just give you a vibe and I'm just okay this weird is it like a real estate seminar what is this and I go in and then like the the topics they talk about are very chilly, right so there's like talking all about the price and like how it would give them profits. And like people are just like taking notes and and photographing and just, it's a little bit chilly. It just gave me the chills back in the day when I didn't have any exposure to ICOs, let alone projects out there. And so that experience really gave me intuitive vibe that, okay, I should be very careful when I work with certain projects. I had several of those encounters, random encounters. And I think that kind of gave me A solid belief that, okay, this could be really dangerous. And also with that project that I went to. So the founder, I think he committed suicide after after all this. Yeah. There was a a huge lawsuit and it was a little, it was very insecure, right? And yeah, it ended in a very bad negative outcome. But yeah, that really, that whole story just tells how dangerous the space can be. Which in some ways,
1: it links to personal branding and reputation in general. I personally love the Asia Biddle branding. It's got unicorns, it's very colorful, it's very playful. It's got local cultural aspects, which are very friendly and welcoming to people coming in. And if you juxtapose that with the corporate world, people wear suits because you want to seem professional, you want to pretend like you know when you're a consultant or a lawyer. Somewhere along the way, there's a clash. And that's something that was apparent even as far back as 2017. The people coming up with this code and with this alternative vision of the world, there were not the people wearing suits. There were people probably wearing, I don't know, boxers with holes in them or whatever, like very different culture. So yeah, era had that really weird mix where it seems like everything unfolded so fast that the really dodgy players were trying to mingle in. Yeah. And yeah, there were some red flags, like wearing a suit yeah well, yeah that setup that you mentioned definitely sounds predatory when you start looking at the type of people that were targeted older people you sell them a promise about technology they don't know what you're talking about really sad to see and i guess really sad to know that it also unfolded in uh, yeah negative ways for everyone involved but
0: really gave me the chills after everything that i heard like t- up till the end right so i'm just like it really and, and no offense like guys wearing suits i love you know i think this it's great it it also gives a professional vibe especially like to enterprise clients for example i think like coming from a corporate background i totally understand but just like that whole preparation and the content that was delivered it was the message was very religious it seemed like we have to believe in us and we'll 10x whatever so that was the red flag there yeah
1: everyone loves a man in a suit come to think of it we should have like a 007 night at Nearcon, where we all get to dress up. Can you imagine?
0: Wow, you that, would <laughs> that would
1: be crazy. That be nice. Let's foreclose that somewhere. Duly noted for the next event. That's yeah. awesome. Do you think in the spectrum of scams and scandals, which are different things, the thing that the scandal may not start with bad intent but eventually collapses, do you think that the Luna case... Like where does it fall on the spectrum, and if you were to place it on a timeline and the evolution of the Korean crypto market, how did you experience that, especially as such a public-facing person?
0: Yeah, Tara, I have some mixed thoughts about it, and honestly, it it could be really controversial, right? and I think it really put a huge focus on the Korean ecosystem in a negative way too, honestly, and I think the whole Korean crypto scene feels really sad about that because. It's like generalizing the entire scene in that sense. And I think in the beginning, I, I don't think tarot started as like a full right scam. I think it was just, you know, it unfolded into this unfortunate array of events and also opinions and what and Twitter play, whatnot. And also yeah, I don't know. I think it's a mix, right? And I would say that the activities that they did, not only in local but also global activities, some Koreans respected that actually. And Back in the day, I think a lot of people thought, okay, this was like well, Doe was was like doing a lot of the Twitter plays, and I think some of the things were a little bit spicy. But then at the same time, it was definitely out of the ordinary amongst the Koreans. No, no Korean can do that, honestly. And so I think in that sense, they were just like, wow, he's getting it out there. But it, it's definitely a mix. But I think in the end, I think a lot of Koreans were questioned about the you know terror prices and how it affected the entire image of the Korean scene. And that really just saddens me every time. And even now I get all these questions. And yeah, I'm it's, sorry. Really, it's, it's not that, but like journalists, like they all, you know, they're still curious, right? And I think everything that like even now with the Korean regulations and how the regulators see crypto, that definitely affected. Dead. And it's really saddening because this, it was a big incident, of course, but just because of that, it really just back forwarded everything that was going on. Was he born and raised in Korea? I don't know. I don't know him that close to think about that, but I believe, well, I don't think he's an American citizen. He went to the same same high school as I did, actually. Same high school. Same so <laughs> here? No, no, he was younger. And I knew, I heard of him. And also Stanford as well, Where you know, I also went to Stanford, he went to Stanford. It was a, a lot of mutual friends there. And yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah
1: it's interesting. The reason I ask is, I see it from similar, very different lenses. I grew up in Venezuela. I live in Australia. And what I often try to explain to people is that there's racism, but then there's stereotypes Hmm. and usually stereotypes, and they're intermingled, but usually stereotypes are based on like people's previous interactions. Could be most recent, could be most prominent. As a citizen of the world, I sometimes take it upon myself to make sure that I elevate the groups that I represent. And it could even be crypto, by the way. When somebody meets you and say, hey, you're not a psycho and you work in crypto, you're elevating that industry. Of course. So it can be cultural, professional, and, and many things. And so so I can understand what how Duquan representing a country and then it going south could have a negative impact on the region. But what, what I'm most interested in is that I know that some cultures are much more, like, high-risk tolerance the United States. And some cultures are much more, what's the word? Like, high-order, obedient, like, hierarchical. Yes. So, I'm, I'm really curious. It, it seems like Do Kwon broke that mold on the sense of the innovation, contrarian, mm-hmm. even yeah. if you looked at the way that he communicated. Yeah. I don't think that's normal. Like, Koreans are very polite and very... Absolutely,
0: hundred percent. I would give an example, right? So the way that we're told to write essays or writing, even in Korean, it, or tell a message is to write the pull out pull out the narrative first, and then state the main argument later. Whereas, in in other parts of the world, they're like, okay, state the main idea first, and be assertive, and then back it up with evidence. But I think. Back in the day, we were taught to be like, okay, we have to tell the story first and blend it in and make your way into it, right? Into the main argument, which is, it does reflect the the, the sentiment or the psychology of Koreans. is like, we don't want to be too abrupt nor too rude. We just want to be a little bit soft and soft-spoken because we're like conscious of what others think about us, basically. And I think that's a huge mentality that kind of And comparative we compare each other a lot i don't want to generalize koreans but i think koreans would agree koreans do compare with each other and it's getting to a point where it's a little bit too much but i think like in that sense we're just very conscious of the responses that's why we don't want to be too rude to others or else we'll be there'll be repercussions or something like that or criticism so i guess that's definitely not being a fighter is is in (laughs) our blood
1: i remember My first year in Australia, I was doing like a course to get into uni. So it was all internationals, mostly Asians. So we had, well, mostly Chinese. So we had a small group of friends of the non-Chinese kids. It was a Japanese girl, Russian guy, Sri Lankan girl. And I was even more wild back in the day, just like very loud. And I was funny. I I said that law school killed me on the inside. And one day, the Japanese girl was like, you're actually insane you can't go to Japan, (laughs) they'll just arrest you. That you just like too much. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I think now as an adult, I can see it because there's just things that we just didn't have in Venezuela. Like the notion of a classroom where kids are silent, staring at a uh, screen, just doesn't exist. It's just like constant noise and chaos and and distraction. It's like organized chaos. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm in Australia, I can start to see like order, but with freedom. And the more I travel, you start to see on that scale, some countries are just very organized, but there are trade-offs. Maybe you're less creative or maybe you're less encouraged to
0: take risks. You don't want to challenge others, right? You don't want to like debate against it. It's definitely, you have to be taking it all in, right? Very important. And
1: I always come down to how do all these different cultures meet somewhere in the middle in a global innovation scene? Can a Korean team successfully collaborate open source project with other teams? Or are there going to be clashes there? Even in governance now, don't want to dive into it. Maybe not too soon, but yeah, it is clear that some groups are overrepresented and their style is very different. Like I could be explaining to people because I happen to be in, in, in the crossroads of all of these groups. Everyone has the right intention. They're just going about it differently and yeah.
0: I agree. The, I think the mixture or collabor- coordination amongst different cultural groups and ethnicities and culture, it's very hard. And that's where I always have trouble to do the cross-communication. And I always come in at that bridge where they're like, Erica, we want some help because we don't have global exposure. We want to be heard. And from, we, from Koreans. Yeah. And vice versa too. It's both ways. They're like, I don't think we're communicating properly. And I think we're offending them, for example. Like, how do we do this? How do we make this right? Interesting. Mm, And I'm the cultural interpreter and saying, hey, they don't mean that way. They just want, that's the way of expressing this. And so I think still there's that fine. Oh, there's a big gap, actually. And not only in terms of information gap, but also there is a Interpretational gap, like cultural, how you speak, how you deliver the message. Like when it comes to like governance or just like coordinating from different areas of the world, it's just really hard to make that happen. It's basically like the UN, but then coming together, but there's no like bridge in between, It's really hard. Yeah, I totally understand where you're coming from.
1: Have you experienced any groups or cultures that it is easier to engage with and others that may be harder?
0: I was raised in the U.S. as well, and I'm—I you know, was born in Korea, but I was raised in the U.S. And I—I mostly I'm more Korean than American, I would say. But and I also come from a corporate background, so I'm very used to like having the top-down corporate culture. So I'm really used to both. But then I would say that group is definitely hard. Like the really conservative Koreans, it's, it is quite difficult, and you have to lower yourself down to as a young, younger person to really just talk to them and respect them. It's very important not to offend them. It's that's really hard. And I think Korean culture is never, I can never understand fully what it really entails. It's really stressful sometimes that said. I guess also in the other realm, like the more direct cultures where you're like, I hate, I don't like this, I dislike this, and I I, I, I want to get out, or it's very direct. So sometimes I get offended, I'm i hurt. It's like, okay, where is this coming from? But it's too much, as you say. And I think we're all taking up. Do you have any
1: examples? Dutch, <laughs> Israeli?
0: Oh, we're talking about ethnicity here. In
1: cultures, broadly, I know that yeah. some stand out as just being very yeah, it's weird because the Dutch, I don't think it's even that they're, they're just not direct. They're just very concise with the
0: language. There's no padding. Just very raw and honest. I would say that, okay, when I was dealing with some Israeli teens, for example, nothing bad, but it's just very economically, very strategic, very aware of the economic consequences and the, like, I think the math part, like the strong, strongness and strength in math really does play a part in that because for me, it's good, as good. I'm pretty like general. And I'm not, like, as much detail-oriented, but I think, like, when I'm talking ne- or negotiating, talking to them, it's very, I have to be on my toes and just, like, this entails this. And it's really, it's applaud- uh, applaudable, and, but then it's, it's very intense sometimes because you have to be, like, really aware of the economic, like, financial gains or losses and that sort of thing. Maybe it's generalizing too much, but. Transactional,
1: I think it's a term that it, yes. sometimes is used. Mm, but. Okay, I think that we're we're doing a a good job at setting the scene of, I guess, helping people understand that Korea is traditionally more conservative and more risk-advert, but at the same time, we know that Korea is one of the largest crypto markets. So I'm curious if you could comment on what other factors coming to play in the Korean society that get that spark in people and drive them into the technology. Sure.
0: Just a general overview of the Korean society is that I, I think everyone knows by now, but the aging population, like the, the society is definitely aging. Population growth is like to a stall, like it's just stopped. And I think the younger generation feels a huge pressure on having having kids or getting married or even like just like looking into the future it's really hard as society economy is very mature at this point and we have a very s- small land but and i think in terms of that it just feel stuck at, at a certain like growth level and also it creates like to invest you know and make profit basically and by investing in big stuff like for example real estate was a huge like huge thing back in the day i think my parents were like we they were very enlightened so they invest in some real estate which like back in the day was a huge thing because it blew up into a really big accumulation of wealth for some koreans but now that the real estate is mature and it's too expensive for young generations to actually buy any house in in
1: seoul State is the original ponzi
0: yeah yeah it's just the bubbles really it's there definitely there and i think even in vietnam as well like the reason why i was a little oh, afraid of it, investing in vietnamese real estate back in the day like Three years ago, before COVID, was it was so like the the explosive growth was a little too much up to a point where it seemed like a bubble, a bubble, and it is a bubble. And but anyway, going back to the real estate, I think Koreans, younger Koreans, they want to invest in something, but they don't know where because real estate's definitely stuck, and stocks is a little boring. Okay, something that could give immediate profit or something that can be tech-friendly as well, is is crypto. That's where a lot of people saw potential. And also, it's not as difficult to get in. You can just invest a small portion, but then you can still get in. You can get involved with the community. And I think the barrier was lower than other forms of investment, with traditional forms of investment. I think that's the context in which the younger Koreans got access to crypto and is interested. And of course, the risk factor is definitely there. And as we said, risk-averse Koreans definitely is a big portion of the the society. But at the same time, there's this contrary sentiment that, okay, I gotta get to somewhere. I gotta make that leap, but how to do that?
1: Over time, I keep discovering new and new segments. I used to say, and I guess it is still true, it is just not the only group, that there is a beautiful paradox in that the people that got in early, they got in early Because they believed in a vision of the world, and they just started building towards it. Any rewards or increase in price, et cetera, that came afterwards was almost like an afterthought. I don't think that people that got involved early days of Ethereum ever thought it was going to be worth that much. Or at least, I've always been on the Puritan side, but there was a feeling back in the day, 2016, 2017, 2018, that the value had to be generated at the application layer. Like Ethereum was just like utilitarian, right? Like it secures a network and you own ETH to pay for gas. But there was a vision to, hey, if you wanna make money, you gotta create something valuable on top of Ethereum. And as we tried for years, I guess the base layer became more expensive. You could probably argue that Nier has the same predicament now. Chip chips, but instead of focusing or stressing too much on the value of the base layer asset. We should be focusing and stressing on building things on top. Yeah. What multi-million dollar product or service could we build on top? And that's the real, I guess, yeah. revenue generating vehicle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to see that somewhere along the way, people that were more interested on the financial side of things. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, other than the SEC and Gary Gansel listening to these. But <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's probably a statement of when you want to have mass adoption you need to cover the entire spectrum of how society engages with something from the building yeah. to the using to the investing to the marketing and branding and and social
0: everything i just talked uh, about this yesterday with another korean and we're just frustrated how i think in general as we discussed like koreans generally see crypto as an investment tool not the people in the industry probably but like also people outside and just investing in general they don't really look into the use case, and it's more like this going up and down. It's a very, like, elementary degree of involvement. And so, like, by having that viewpoint, it's hard to say, oh, we want to try new things. We want to be the users of these applications. I think that it doesn't extend yet to that level. That's really frustrating. And that's why developer talented developers or builders there are a ton of you know, really talented developers and designers in Korea, as you probably know. Like design is crazy. I think UI, UX is like Korea is like, like one of the top. The, the fact that they're not on board yet is because there aren't users who, whom they can spread their product to. I think this kind of goes back and forth. If, Both sides have to come at once, but who's going to come first? It's really hard. That was just like a frustration saying, yeah, we we're just stuck here, but we need this incentive to make builders build like good stuff there. But at the same time, it's standard to the the bigger user pool.
1: But if we dig one layer deeper and we ask the question, why aren't there any users, or we could reframe it, what would have to be true for there to be any users? Yeah. Have you seen anything, especially through interacting with many different blockchain ecosystems? Because I've got a hypothesis, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that first.
0: The biggest one would be the wallet, login with wallet. I think that's like a turnoff for everybody. They're like, what? Why do I need a wallet? I think that's where you just press login and they'll just pop up a wallet coming out like, which wallet would you choose? And I'm like... Everyone's like, what? I think that is definitely a turn off for many Koreans in general. Not only Koreans, but I think most people, I think where even myself, I'm like, oh, darn it. I just want to get in like really quickly. What do I have to do with? I don't have a mobile wallet, for example. Then what can I do? And also it's confined to a chain and that certain wallet that's very, that's also confining as well. And we so have no choice but to install different wallets from different chains. And it's just, it's too much to handle all, all at once. And the management, it's also people are a little, I think. They feel a little risk in, in having a wallet inside their mobile or just like that thought of having and logging with that. And that's also one of the uncertainties that come in, even though we assure that, hey, everything's fine. It's nothing. Security issues is fine. But people like in like Normies, for example, even just like people not familiar, they're, they could be afraid. I totally agree with that too.
1: I think you're spot on. Friction. Because mm-hmm. if you do traditional startups, It's funny how they've almost mastered this art of like design thinking, product design and Figma and wireframes and user journeys. It's almost a meme. It's a person with a beard or like half shaved head and lots of post-it notes. It seems like you're overthinking something very simple, but the truth is that it matters. And if you were to run the current onboarding flow. And you realize that 99% of people are dropping off because they can't get a wallet. That's the end of that product. And the crazy thing is that a lot of focus is now on the onboarding process. Even a lot of Ethereum projects and layer twos, et cetera, are doing like account abstraction. But the sad truth is that once we fix onboarding, then they're going to run into the next wall, the cost of the transaction. And then the next wall, storage and state. And I think that it's been a hard sell because it's just very limiting. Like the tech stack is very limiting. Yeah. Hmm. Nier is changing that. But up until now, it's just been, uh, yeah, you got to believe in the vision or.
0: The frustration comes in two ways. So near, for example, has a great tech stack. And I think like everyone knows that cheap fees and everything. It's just like how to get that where, like the word is out there, right? I think mean, that's also, that's, that has to come into play. Even if you have good tech, but how can you get it out there? And for other products that don't have good tech, but they are already out there, it's like, where do you meet in between? How can you play? How can you come, come together and just have that solid balance where you have really good tech, but then your message is definitely across all types of users. And I that's where near is at as well. And, and, and like next goal, basically, is to, to get more awareness I'm
1: curious, in your traditional corporate world, were you in finance?
0: Yes. So I was in finance. That was my first job. I was an M&A analyst. And then... Whoa. That sounds horrible. <laughs> I know. I, it is horrible. So I, I, I started the work with the thought of, okay, I'm going to learn some finance and some numbers there. I wish I did, but then I was just like worn out so much. And it was really, like, everything was so corrupt. And I, I just didn't like it. So I left and I went to... My next corporate job was in telecommunications. I worked in Korea Telecom, which is like one of the top three. Huge. Alco companies. Yeah. Don't they own everything? They own so much like real estate. They own like the top real estate in the country. And And
1: even, yeah, uh, my understanding is that there's quasi monopolies, but Korea Telecom is like massive. They've got taxis. They've got everything. (laughs) Oh, that's
0: cacao. That's cacao. Oh, sorry. That's
1: cacao. Wrong one.
0: No, no, it's okay. It can be confusing. Create Telecom is like where the phone booths are around. So when you go like around, there are so many like little phone booths and that's Create Telecom. And Selfie Tell, remember the venue last year? Maybe you were there last year, but last year there was a venue next to Lotte Tower. It's a uh, hotel that is is owned by Create Telecom. So the whole land there is owned by Create Telecom. So many of these like golden lands are around the country or by credit telecom interesting so, yeah I was out there. of curiosity
1: yes what were the size of the deals for m a were they like large deals
0: oh yeah i can't see the number but like the one that i was in that was, i don't think that was like successfully finished but i was really on it was them it was i don't know if i was saying english but uh logistics logistics company in called Pan Pan Ton, it's like a big logistics company in Korea. They were being sold to some potential buyers. And so one of the big companies called Kumho, like a, it's a huge group. And so they wanted to buy it or something. So we're helping that deal, which was, it's a big, it was a very big deal actually in, in the South Korean history. Yeah.
1: This was a very long line of questioning because crypto is in this really weird space where if you look at the size, it's actually so small that the traditional market forces don't actually apply. So for okay. instance, Nier is like a billion and there's a few chains that are like a little bit more. It's just so small that these funds that deal in multiple billions daily, they just don't give a fuck. And that's why there's this weird tension between the SEC and some government scaring, but it also being too small. For some, like big investors, M&A could easily be hundreds of millions, like more than several of these blockchains combined, or even like builders to care. And I think that in that gap is the opportunity. The government probably sees that technology as a threat, or it could grow to be a challenging force, but we haven't built it for the other people to care and come into play. But yeah, that keeps me around, keeps me excited. There's a big gap there to fill but it's uh, it's fascinating like every time i talk to my friends uh, cuz i went to law school they're all consultants and lawyers and whatnot the size of the deals like just to give you an example the state government here just cancelled the commonwealth games cuz they don't have any money just the fines that they have to pay to everyone that they had already contracted and some work had already started it's $600 100 million or 800 million that's like all of near like most of its market cap and that's mm-hmm. just a fine that these guys are paying yeah all these contracts were billions like the it's when you think of those magnitudes and portions that's when you understand in crypto we're like playing with lego you know we haven't really started building how do we get to mass adoption erica people like us have to spread the word
0: <laughs> i guess that's a really interesting role that an important role that you and i have And just making, because I'm in the bridge between the web two and web three, because I have many friends that are like lawyers, doctors. And I think like just making sure that like we're normal people, we're actually like smart, normal people, but we work here and we do this just in plain language, just explaining that it is really helpful for them to actually like say no to these, this new tech. I think just the thought of having new tech just like hurts their brain. I think it's just, it's, it's too much to take in and they're like structured, like they have to learn about it. It's a lot of entry barriers there. And if tech savvy, there's an assumption that you have to be tech savvy to be in crypto or use crypto in general, which I'm not like as tech savvy, I'm here for seven years. So I'm just trying to be that example of person that, hey. You know, we're like, I'm I'm like the opposite description of having a developer, like really building stuff. And like the voice uh, for some Koreans, it's, I think they get, okay, if she's there and, and adding value, then I guess we can also try something out. So I think that really, this place helps to lower that barrier. And informational gap is definitely huge too. They're like where to go, they don't know who to trust and how to access any information. I think we're in this bubble in which we have all these channels, we are on Telegram, we're on Twitter. We're just communicating in our own circle, which makes it like really bonding. And I, I love that. But at the same time, for people who like to access that circle, it's so intimidating. I think people find it like really hard to even Discord, even mice. I, I don't like Discord, for example, honestly. But just to get into that and just mingling, it, it's really it's
1: stressful. So. I declare Claire just discord bankruptcy i was in way too many servers and it was getting out of control and i I just stopped using it
0: me too
1: uh actually just migrated the rev community board chat back to telegram and even on telegram i'm trying to find a subtle way to get out of some groups without signaling something that i may not be trying to intend but i just don't use those groups it's just too much noise and i agree um but what's interesting to me i'd like to think is it You're right. We need to do a better job at communicating what the layout of the land is. These groups should be where we build stuff. And when something is production ready, it goes off to people and they can just use it like a normal product. Mm -hmm. Like we're not on an iPhone or whatever app on your phone that you use every day, Telegram group. And you shouldn't have to be to use the product
0: Mm -hmm. to
1: understand it. I feel like we've ingrained a lot of like practices that are actually counterproductive that's my number one feedback that I give to people when users use your product all the information that they need should be on the screen Mm -hmm. I don't know why engineers are obsessed with just pushing code and there's only one button that signs a transaction on the screen and you have to wonder and guess and go talk to someone or go watch a YouTube video Mm -hmm. there's a lot of work to be done
0: I agree there are also some discussions about as you said, the, the app should be very simple and just anybody can just actually get into it, log in and use the service. And, but at the back end, I think there's like, how decentralized is it, right? Like the, there are discussions, like if it's half, de- half decentralized or if it's not fully decentralized to a certain point where some services need to have this, I guess, features that are more centralized than that we want it to be. But then I think there's like an interim, like a bridge where, some services and some in Korea, like they build them to make it comfortable for users, but it, it really don't seem like a crypto service at all. But I think if you dig into it, the tech, it's definitely centralized to a certain degree. And so I think people like bash out, I think there's some criticism for them because it's not a fully like crypto, not crypto friendly service in that sense because it's definitely centralized to a certain extent. But at the same time, if there's no bridge, getting to the fully decentralized service and how are we going to get there in the first place? I don't think we can make an immediate leap at, in the near future. I think it's it should be gradual. Well, Yeah, I don't know. It's a little mixed.
1: Yeah. it's The challenge is to be able to get enough people that are in turn able to look at the big picture. I Eric, I've got a few questions for you. Do so you have off the top of your head some numbers around Asia Biddle and it's soul this year, last year, just to get a sense of the growth and the evolution. Oh, n- attendees! Yeah. Attendees, impact sponsors, any metrics that you use to see how.
0: Okay. So each soul, for example, we did our, it was just our baby. We started last year as a first one and then this year is the second one. And so we, we don't have a huge horizon of evolution there, but. The first one, and second one, there was a huge leap there. So, for example, this year we had 250 hackers and then attendees, it was 800 people coming in and out. And I'm sure you were there. So, like, the venue was, I think, like, thank you for being there. I think the venue was well organized. I think people were generally satisfied with the, the organization. The vibe, I really, I guess it's more subjective on my level to see the growth of my events. I think it's more about like feedback that I get subjectively from some trusted people. They're objective enough to say, hey, this was bad. They're, they're good friends to say some criticism there. Uh, so I trust them 100%. But I think mo- the feedback gets better and better as years progress. And so I would say that compared to last year, this, was, this year was much better. I'm also excited for next year because it's going to be really better in terms of the be- and the project lineup and everything. Do you yeah. want my feedback? Yes. I'm scared. It's actually interesting
1: because this was the first year that I joined as a hacker. Ah. Oh, yeah, okay. I found a team of a couple of students, I think most from Germany, one from Romania or something. Okay. And it was their first near hackathon, which is a nice way to say that ETH Seoul had something very unique this year, which is that a huge number of hackers participated in the near track.
0: That is is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Yes. It was predominant number of hackers. Thanks to the presence of near Korea as well.
1: Yeah, I was gonna ask. Are we misappropriating the ETH soul? The ah. first three letters of the name for are we doing something in Korea that can be replicated in other countries where we sponsor ETH hackathons? What's happening, Erica?
0: Honestly, like when I was talking to near Korea and having the possibility of near being involved, I, I didn't expect this much of a engagement, which is, I mean, I, I'm grateful for any engagement, honestly, and the, I think that it was very healthy and... Coming from the background, I'm platform agnostic, and of course it's Eats Souls. So I try to stay true to the Eats spirit as much as possible, and EVM-compatible chains are definitely welcome. I, that, I don't see any problem with that. But that said, as you said, I think there definitely can be a near hackathon series. There is a potential to organize, as Solana does for his hacker houses around the world. Just like series of global hacker houses or even hackathons, whatever, just go around the world. And I think that definitely should be done. And can be done because it really gives sense of identity as well and culture, as you probably know, if you feel comfortable around a certain culture, you can be more creative and you can be more comfortable for yourself and when you feel welcome is really a good feeling to have across all regions and so it's being consistent with that across regions, I think be really powerful for near, and yeah, I saw the potential there too, so I'm like, okay, I'll be down to helping as well, but like just having that near presence more and encompassing more ecosystem partners, like Proximity, Ref, I don't know. Everyone could definitely participate, but yeah, I, I saw the potential there, so. Uh,
1: good reflections. You saw it, you took it, you succeeded. Out of curiosity, from the feedback, has there ever been either direct to CryptoSoul or that you've heard from your circles? Has there ever been push, push, pushback? I'm uh, the Spanish coming through. Have you ever had any pushback or heard of any pushback from the ethereum community that they feel like the ethereum umbrella is now being slightly it's a it's a very amorphous hmm. term now that may have been quote-unquote appropriated by other projects and i'm asking this because i'm actually not sure how competitive all the layer twos are with each other and, and then you have the, the others category, like Nier, I'm super interesting how you perceive that landscape.
0: The vision of Ethereum was to be inclusive in general. So that said, as long as it's not anti-Ethereum, I think it should be fine. But I definitely put primary focus on had the core teams consisting Ethereum and building Ethereum. And I think that should be kept. That's also compromise. It's an agreement amongst other event organizers. But at the same time, being inclusive and at ETH Denver as well. Neo was the biggest sponsor for ETH Denver, for example. So I think that it can be extensive in the sense that if you're ETH friendly or EBM compatible, it definitely can pass the bar there. And I'm the more extensive Ethereum community can go in that sense. Like it can, it might, it may not be a direct relative, but it can be. Your cousin's cousin. I don't know. It also embraces that fact. And there are, of course, ETH Maxis for sure. And I've definitely got some feedback there and saying, hey, why do you you welcome this project? I've gotten that. But I think it's a matter of judgment. Did you get any
1: people asking about that or scanning people's eyeballs?
0: Oh, yeah, I got many of that. Honestly, coming from an organized perspective, like they sponsor like all the ETH Global events. All of them. Like ETH Global New York, they were there too, eh? So, yeah, I mean, I-, I thought it was
1: great. I was a little bit creeped out, but I thought it was great. Once again, it just signaled trust mm. into the organization, the venue. A project that is trying or aiming for worldwide distribution thought it was worth it to be present at that event to achieve their goals. Because I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, to a large extent, those are the lenses that you see the event through, right? Or should see the event. Does somebody else? think that it is worth it for them, or it creates value for them to be here, enough to pay. Hackers, presumably, they just show up and have a good time and leave. And obviously, you can measure the attendee experience. But where the rubber hits the road is, are sponsors willing to put money to be here?
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, it's
1: very important. Yes, I don't know. I see events, and the branding theme keeps coming up. When I started my company, and I studied law, Weird experiences in the law, we've got this term. It's like a legal fiction. We literally just make it up. we put put in a piece of writing, we sign it and now it exists. So when you start a company, it's It oh, didn't exist yesterday and it exists now because I put it in writing, which then begs the question of, well, what makes it real? What is a company really? Mm. And then you start looking, there has to be a name. It has to be an image to it. It has to be, it needs to occupy real estate in people's mind. That's when it exists. No one knows about it. It's a shitty shell company in Panama. And I think that with events, it's really fucking hard. I'm trying to swear less, but I'll say it now because it's the same. Anyone can rent the venue and anyone can drag in some students and shove them into a room. What makes an event worth it for someone to spend who knows how much money to be there in that particular weekend in those specific, and I'm sure very carefully crafted conditions. Everything from speakers, decoration, can you walk me through that journey or hypothetically if somebody wanted to be as awesome as you are and and grow a, a crypto soul?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Actually, I also ask myself, like, why do I do events and what makes my events unique? May not be unique, but <laughs> from my perspective. I build one-on-one relationships from scratch. I've done it for seven years now. And I think that really built, it became scalable to a point where, and there's a word of mouth. I, I think it goes on from founders, builders, investors, and everybody. And so once you give that trust to people, it kind of escalates and it creates a huge impact across like different protocols and different people. And I think people in crypto, they come across different projects anyway. So they jump from, they have this career across number a number of uh, projects, and so they all we all are all like in one circle here, and we meet people that we met in one project at another project like three years later, and and then we end up working together or something like that. I believe in the power of relationships, power like giving trust and having that like strong bond, I should say, and giving positive vibes, conviction, and so like I try to stay really consistent with my communication and just be consistent with my events basically and just not being like too pro- over-promising nor being bluffing about anything about numbers. I don't want to play with numbers. I hate playing with numbers, by the way. And I just want people to say, just come and see for yourself. And the, the most important thing for me is to be- make people ha- have a good experience with other people who are in the event. So for example, it doesn't matter if it's a thousand people or 10,000 people. As long as the people who are in that small group or big group, if they're good people and you made like 10 good connections there, I think that is lasting. Otherwise, if you have met 100,000 people in token 2049, no offense, it's a great event. But I didn't remember much. I'm saying shock fired. <laughs> no, no, no. I respect, no, I respect it. I envy them. That's great. No, but it's a different type of event. Organizers agree there are two different types of events. One is more curated but like smaller types but very intimate and some people like that or otherwise uh, uh, there are other types where it's like massive numbers huge booths areas and full out which is applaudable because it's a huge project i know it's it must be like exhausting but so there are two types but i think for me who has met like thousands of people like more than across my years in crypto what would make my experience pleasant is to curate, or at least have a certain really good quality people stationed in that event and just saying, hey, like this, I miss so many good contacts or network in this event. That shapes a good event and not just like giving good food or giving good swag. Of course, that's very important too. It's all part of the experience. But at the same time, I think it all comes down to the people. You go to events to meet people and also to find opportunities for jobs or I don't know, I guess good swag too. It's very important. I sometimes
1: especially in the bear market, have second thoughts about just how much money I'm spending traveling. No. Most of this conference is I pay my own way. I'm not no. really employed by anyone, which is weird. A threshold that I would probably hold to measure the success of an event is I've never regretted it because the value that I get from attending, and I can measure this in many different ways, is orders of magnitude greater. And as you say, it comes from building relationships that you don't see the return immediately, but it's having access to trust, etc. Sure. There may be some more immediate opportunities to earn money, but you always learn and in general, I think it's money well spent. If you gave me the cho- choice to travel back in time, travel back in time in a shit way where we basically stay where we are, but you give me my money back and I give you back the experience of going to if Seoul and Asia Biddle, I wouldn't do it. It's crazy if you put it in that perspective, those coins in my wallet or those dollars in my bank account, it just seems like a lot less money than the experience that I got from attending there. And people say, oh, AVB, you know everyone. Yeah, because I fucking paid to go to Korea. And then I am there with Shevchenko, with Ilya, with all the hackers I got to know you in person and now you're in the podcast. Technically everyone has access to you because you walk around the venue and it's about relationship building. I agree. However, that thus opened a very interesting question and I'll put it to you. How much of that relationship building is Erica as a human being and your uniqueness and how much of relationship building can be learned? Are there general tips or advice for people to go about building these strong relationships?
0: In general, I'm all about personal branding. And I think wherever I go and have these, I have to be there to host the event. I think that creates a certain image or a certain atmosphere. And I try to be very welcoming, number one, and just help out. And I think being in a, how should I say, more humble position really helps to lower that barrier when you're interacting with any other person. Asian or non-Asian, I think (laughs) it works either way. And I've I lived in both regions, so I've tried many ways, but for me, I use many body language, which is it's Western friendly. And Koreans are like, what why are you using all these? (laughs) But at the same time, I bow many times to say thank you. And that's also foreign to Westerners, right? But still I think it's not a offensive thing. It's actually A little much, too much, but at the same time, like, why not? You're smiling and you're like bowing and you're trying to be accommodating. I think that really sets a good positive image to people and say, I'm willing, I'm down to helping, I want to contribute, ask me questions. So I'm just literally open. I'm just like, I just love having good people around and just sending that vibe to others. It really makes them want to talk to you and also to share their story and also have another follow-up meeting. Also, it shouldn't be just like a one-time meeting. You have to continue that network and following up and making that into a call or follow-up, say, hey, I want to know more about you. And let's think where we can collaborate together. So what I always do is I, not only from my conference, but from other conferences, I take my contacts. I do a follow-up call afterwards and say, this is actually what I was, like, I need to tell more about, about what I'm doing and what I want to do. And I it usually ends up really into a fruitful relationship and just open the heart out and just be welcoming. I think it always works for me. That's <laughs> awesome. No, I, I can definitely see that. I remember, this is
1: embarrassing, and I hope that you don't remember, but it was actually not one, two years in a row that I had to message you because I only oh, got I as remember. far as booking flights to Korea. I remember. I somehow didn't actually get to buying the ticket or it was too late or they were sold out. And the first time, Somebody was like, oh, I like, just message Erica or something. And they gave me your number. And I was like, ah, it, it just feels, once again, it, it, it's like a different leak, right? Like you shouldn't be DMing the organizer. And it was like the day before. yeah. And then I saw you literally just walking down a hallway. And I was like, hey, Erica, I'm really sorry. Do you think you could help me out? It, it was actually really, I wouldn't say intimidating, but I, it was embarrassing. Like mm-hmm. I knew that I was like probably out of place, like bothering someone in such a busy period. And you were like, yeah, of course, sure. No worries. Just pull out your phone. you figured things out. And I think that humility and, and, and willingness to help is, yeah, has been consistent. And it's has been apparent to others. I'm wondering, is there a dark side to it? Have you ever felt that people may underestimate you or undermine you because you are actually too friendly? Yeah. Or whatever. You dress up too much. Or I don't know how much of this is gendered. I don't think. Maybe yeah, there's probably an element there, but I'm asking this because I experience this. Either you're too friendly and humble and welcoming, or you are someone that is deemed to be more important and senior, but it can sometimes be hard to reconcile the two.
0: Yes, I get that all the time too. And as a community builder, I think I'd rather be more humble than be this hard to access person. And I get condescending comments all the time. And too informal. Or too friendly, as I said, too smiling all the time. What are you thinking? That kind of thing. But I, I look like that. But then the inside, I am definitely filtering, <laughs> And I, I'm i not like, I don't, I think too. <laughs> I'm just trying to portray a nice, generally nice image to others. And I think just being intimidating, that's not a good starting point. As you progress the relationship or, or interaction, if that person, other person seems a little untrustworthy, then you think that the wall there, in the beginning, I think you I think I should start off always fresh as a clean slate, and I try not to judge people. And I I only share their story, even like if they're just just into crypto. I get all like DMs all the time saying, like, "Hey, especially females, like, I I want to meet you. Like I I'm lost here, and I want some advice. And I just met two yesterday, for example. And hopefully they get some encouragement or some type of advice. And that's I think that's my role in the crypto. space. one of my roles, lower that barrier and be accessible to other younger females out there who are trying to enter the space and trying to have a position there. But I don't want to be gender specific or anything. I really don't like that, but I get all these comments all the time. And so I know what it feels like. And I've been there for years now. Dressing thing also, but that's also part of my culture too. And some most people appreciate it. If they don't like it, they don't come to the event. That's fine. (laughs) I
1: At the very beginning, I thought it was very interesting that you mentioned that you're really into personal branding, but then you link that up with Cryptosoul as a company. I am very much aligned with you in being humble and it's very much a personal brand. But I'm curious, two questions, whether your approach or your reasoning would be different if you were building an empire that is perhaps less about you. And then the second question is, are you building an empire? Cryptosol has now expanded to Vietnam and I think that you should just keep taking over the region. What's
0: That's a good question, actually. And I'm just in that position there. So I've done this consistently for six years now and people are always asking, why aren't you scaling? Why aren't you fundraising or building a product or even joining a fund or joining a layer one? Or I don't know, just I get offers all the time or suggestions, recommendations. Everyone asks, what are you trying to do? What is the main goal here? What is the vision here? And honestly, it may be a turnoff, but I don't have a a long-term vision. Crypto is as volatile as it is. I want to be like present. I want to stay true to choose the present and really focus on what I'm doing now. But at the same time, like it's been six years, seven years now. So I'm thinking about expanding more as well and be more region agnostic actually. And so as I tried with Bill Vietnam last year. It, so we did a second one this year and I'll do it annually um, every year. And I think next year should be near DEF CON in, in Southeast Asia, right? And that's already in settle. But this year and next two, oh, next week, it's next week already, I'm hosting Biddle Hong Kong. It's a small one. I'm trying to expand a little more to the other Asian regions. And I'm also in talks with Indonesia, uh, Singapore, Japan, they all want the middle spirit. I think some of pe- some regions lack that organizer who can actually spearhead this, live, which is like more builder friendly, host a hackathon of some sort. And so I think Asia, yeah, I mean, it's middle Asia anyway. So I'm definitely going to expand to different Asian regions. But at the same time, I'm also introducing another non crypto soul, but I'm expanding to crypto planet, which is more ambitious. I know it's region agnostic, but I, I'm traveling anyway. I'm hosting side events all the time. I host Builder Breakfast around the clock. And it's been very successful so far. Like the one in Paris that I held with Vitalik and Ilya and everyone was, it was just amazing solo. And I feel like I can definitely have a more also Europe-centric as well, US-centric and just be more scalable in that sense. And so, yeah, it's exciting times right now. And uh, yeah, I think it should be very interesting. Amazing. I feel like there was a couple
1: of alphas in there. So thank you. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think at Niercon or I'm a speaker there, maybe Niercon or I should probably, I'm, I'm going to be explaining more about what I'm building. But.
1: If you want us to hold it till
0: after Niercon, that's perfectly fine. It's um, fine. fine. I'll elaborate more. And I think I'm, we just have a, a sense of the big picture, but the idea we're building towards it. So it should be like more things to share later. That's amazing. When
1: I, so it does look like you're building an empire.
0: There is. Small empire.
1: (laughs) Small. It it always starts small. You got to start small. There is ancient beliefs in a very different context, but we can see if there's any analogies here. Machiavelli, as he was trying to keep Italy as one body of land, or country, many different regions. He had some maybe controversial beliefs to this day. But one of them is that it is better to be feared than loved.
0: Ah, I love that as
1: one. I love Machiavelli's. We all love Machiavelli because there is some truth to that. How would you frame it? Because I feel like if society disintegrates enough, you start getting closer to Machiavelli needed measures for things to come back into place. That's like the backstop. Shit's going downhill. You don't give a fuck if they love you. They better fear you because you have to get things done. Everything is amazing. Sure. No one needs to fear you because things are running smoothly anyway. It's probably better to be liked. So uh, I'm always curious in people's personal journey and their own little empires and then the macro crypto picture and then the macro country, region, Planets. who knows maybe next time you're in the podcast we're recording on a different planet where we have to think of a new name again hopefully we don't have to wait that long but you know what i'm saying
0: yeah i really like that quote and i would also be that person where i'd be rather feared than loved honestly as a community builder i should be loved but i think i would rather be more respected and the fact that i've been driving this for years now it's and also in event organizing you have to be feared You cannot be loved by everybody. And I know that organizers are getting shit all the time. Uh, For example, complaints all over the place. Every organizer feels that way. And we feel like a bad person because we're just like blasting out on all these agencies. Or it's just, I don't want to swear, but like I become a bitch. It's It's hard. And I know that. And everyone knows that. But... At the end of the day, you got to have things done. You have to execute. I'm all about executing. That's the number one thing that I care about. And I don't care about words. Rather than just talking all the time, it's so much more important to actually just do the job and execute. And the results will show anyway. You don't need to elaborate too much. You don't need to be saying all these like sweet things to, I think it's, Actions will speak anyway. And yeah, that's what I really truly believe in. And I don't think I've done enough talking because I've been executing so much. Uh, Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I, I really don't. I think, think yeah.
1: that is a formula for success. Mm-hmm. So people that only execute end up with a product, including an amazing layer one blockchain. Oh. And then they are left wondering, what is a distribution channel? Like, how do we put this into what comes next? And that is assuming that you've got the, the skills and the meritocracy to have something in the first place. The reality is that most people don't even get that far because they're held back somewhere along the line. So the formula for success for the few rare people that do have it is you need to be friendly, open-minded, charismatic, proactive to open up the opportunities. And once you create the opportunity for yourself with the relationships and the partners that you meet along the way, then you have to execute on it does that make sense
0: yeah no it totally makes sense i think it all goes simultaneous too it's go like putting a puzzle together as well and while you're making the connections you have to think of what you want to like provide to these people offer to these people and and also on the back end you're like literally frantically building right like making this event happen but just everything happens all at once and you just know how to juggle with it and i'm a pretty good multitasker and i like, literally, I, I look peaceful, but in the back end, I calculate things at a second, by the minute, I just like literally plan out my day. So it's just, it's been a struggle, but I think it's all... Worked. I have been told yeah.
1: that it's a very Korean thing. It's a friendly interface, but in the back end, it's
0: just... Yeah, it's constant management, constant control of yourself. That's what, it's, it's stressful, but at the same time, it does keep me going. I I really don't want to lose that tension. And keeping attention is also a key to success because it really, the routine that you have and feel comfortable with. And it also gives me adrenaline as well, because I know that I'm creating something for the better. And just the feeling that at least one person appreciates it. I, I don't need to be loved by everybody, but at least some people who matter to me, who say, hey, this was like actually amazing. That's a no brainer, like that will keep me going. And no matter what, how much should I get from other people, that's also fine. But yeah, it's just uh, a determination routine. That's
1: awesome. <laughs> I'm currently reading Ego is the Enemy, Ryan Holiday. And for a few years now, I've been trying to get into that stoic mindset because it's a really fine line between, sure, like we're going to battle, like we're not holding back on what we're doing, execution, intent, voracity. But at the same time, you need to be in your best position that you can be. Usually food and exercise, people can just see, oh, I am eating shit. And then I look like shit and feel like shit. But your mental state, few people think about, and especially lockdowns in Australia, are very harsh. And it was very clear that the further removed the problem, the worse it seems. So I've, I've tried very hard to make sure that I keep bringing things back to what I can actually control. And yeah, this book specifically is about that ego, being able to always remain humble, open-minded, to be able to show your work as opposed to grandstand or... It's really good. I I would recommend it. I started reading it on my flight uh, from Indonesia. And uh, I'm wondering, do you have any books or any content
0: other than Machiavelli that you find inspiring or that has helped you in your journey? More than books. So my mother passed away last year and uh, she... She fought cancer for eight years. Her lesson, like her journey, and what she taught me, I think that it's a proof of life that I want to keep true to. Living life to the fullest, and also being very determined and also consistent, and showing by example. Books, of course, it's great. In the podcast, I love podcasts. I watch like All In podcasts. I listen to it, and it's really good. Laura Shin, I love her. But two out of two, we, we consume very similar content. Oh, yeah, that's great. No, I, oh, chopping block. I love chopping block too. Yeah, shout out to Tom and Hasib Turin. Anyway, I love content to listen to, but I think like also like people who are really close to me who show by example, those interactions or lessons, they just really stick to me. And I really want to live by that because I've been through that for a long time. That's what I would say is my personal anchor or like guidance in life? I think that's great advice. I
1: always think about that fact that due to some of the technological constraints of the past up until very recently, we only really have that written record and thoughts of the highest echelons of certain industries or, or certain groups. And there's probably so many stories and so much wisdom that have just not been captured formally, a lot of knowledge and experiences transferred. And it makes me wonder whether in the future we'll be able to capture a lot more of everyday people and almost like a collective consciousness. Maybe if you have someone like Ilya, he'll tell you, yes, this, uh, he understands that big picture data aggregation. Mm. on the side of what's possible. And then if you look at the technology we already have, we're basically already capturing everything anyways. Yeah. I don't know. Do you find that to be dystopian or utopian
0: or? Me as a dystopian? I, I I think I'm more of a realist, honestly, but then in, in that sense. But I think by living my life in crypto, work, it's like work now. I think it's life now up to a point where it's become my life. And with the people that I mingle with and people that I trust, it's becoming so much more than work. Now, I don't even consider this as work or anything as work. It's more like shaping my new life, I should say, after crypto, post crypto, right? Entering crypto and learning new values that I haven't been enlightened. And I think like also learning about like newer types of people, also being dystopian, also and nomadic. It's just everything is a new concept to me, but slowly really I'm absorbing this, which is a very enlightening experience. And I think I'm truly becoming a person where I know what I want now. And the fact that I know where I want to stand, where I want to go with, who I want to go with as well. And I think it's just personally also very just as well. It's an interesting journey that I'm going through right now, personally too. I want to take a quick toilet break. Yes. When we come
1: back. I do have a question, which I had on my cheeky notebook, but you did mention it in passing. Okay. I was wondering, taking into account that marketing talent is few and far, upon pun intended, in Web3, if you've ever considered or what would it take for you to be involved in a more of a leadership role within the your ecosystem, say like a marketing DAO council? or any of these opportunities coming up or your skills could be very much in demand. So I'll let you think about that one. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to, we could just skip it over. And Yeah, I'll be back in two minutes. Okay. See you soon. Cheers. Hey, hey. Back. Hello. Yeah. Awesome. Can you help us? We need some marketing help.
0: I've been approached with this idea recently, actually. I, I seconded. What are your thoughts? I would love to help know what the degree would be like but i see what i see and if i can add value which could be applicable to some theories i don't think i can solve everything for sure i'm not perfect at all and i have never <clears throat> helped like specifically any layer one projects i've been helping to on the back end but not like out there so, yeah like it depends on like the degree and how i can when or where yeah but i'm In general, I think it's inevitable that I would be involved in the new ecosystem to a certain degree, and yeah, can
1: make some introductions and hopefully see where the synergies lie. I guess closely related. I'm really curious to get your views on, I guess, like privacy or where like personal and work blend. Because I think that to be successful helping near in its marketing challenge. We need someone that is deep in the understanding of the technology in ways that yeah. You have to be either be around for a long time hmm. or be very closely related to the latest happenings. And does that make sense to you? Do you see where I'm
0: going? Yeah. Yeah. I, I see where you're going. No, of course I've been around the space for a some time so i think also i have some good judgment on certain things certain decision making things and i don't believe in overspending that's for sure i i think like there are certain areas where i need to invest certain resources but on certain levels like why for certain things like why do you sponsor that right and i have a pretty strong opinion on that in general and if that could be adding some value there then that would be great good if there's good edition that's coming out and also privacy i'm a pretty public phase because i i host events all the time i meet people all the time at one point i was thinking of becoming anon like i really want to be anon but i think i've crossed that point where i'm just not going to be able to achieve that um, you can always have a backup account I, I did think of this i did think of it i was thinking like i know all this gossip so maybe i can just go. do it
1: i want to hear the
0: yeah, no, I, I was really thinking about it. I am thinking about it. It's just, it is a full-time job. As you probably know, it's it's definitely a lot of account management and we have to be engaging and pumping out and, events.
1: And unless you've got like a personality disorder, it's also like a full-time job just to maintain the narratives. What? You're now two separate people. Because <gasps> I tried, I, I actually had a couple of things out there, but it's hard. It's hard to maintain. Sometimes it's just better to be you. It's,
0: exactly. Yeah, and it even, it's hard to be you. It's just like hard to be myself, like one person. How can I like maintain, successfully maintain even and grow those two uh, uh, brands, basically? It's two brands. And since I'm becoming stronger in, in terms of public, which is a little risky, but at the same time, I think I've done a relatively safe job in maintaining the, uh, I'm not like as controversial <laughs> as other people, but that said, I know I've given up on the, <laughs> I'm on YouTube, I'm on like everywhere, so it's, might as well just put it out there. So I guess relating to the balance between, like personal life and also like career, that's also a very big tug of war situation there. And it's going to be hard, but it is what it is. So I got to do a job. It
1: is what it is. That's my, yeah. I, I should get that tattooed on an arm or like <laughs> a, a leg or something. It, it's the <laughs> mantra that I live by.
0: Me too. It is
1: what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. There's been several times, and I think the first time was in Korea last year. I was standing there in between Ilya and Mm Shefshin, and they were talking to each other about something technical. And several, I was very impressed by several things. The first one was that they don't agree on everything. And there's like more than one way to implement something, which I found fascinating. But the second thing, uh, which I actually told Ilya at the time was, I've never heard of any of this. And this is a narrative. This is exciting. This makes me want to be on New York. The whatever bullshit we're pumping out on Twitter, that's generic. Mm-hmm. And uh, since then, all of the things have come out, both on mainnet and afterwards the marketing. That's another problem that we have. We ship first and market later. At the time, that was remote accounts and match uh, transactions. Anyway, one of the stories I told Ilya at the time, almost as a suggestion, not, not even that subtle, Sir Black Dragon, I think you need someone to just travel with you everywhere and listen in on your conversations and take note of the shit that's in your head that we need to convey to other people. There's a lot in there and we need to find a way to let it find its way to the different communities of builders and contributors that can be attracted to it, want to contribute, can build it out or with the black dragon, it's challenging. If I may say so myself, my vision, and then I'll let you chime in if you want. We can just take this whole bit out. I don't really have a view because she is too decentralization, Maxi. And we actually had an NDC call in the last week. Yeah. And he laid out this really impressive slide deck with this crazy vision of the future, very exciting. And I was like, Ilya, you do understand that there is only a handful of people in the world that can execute on this vision. Mm-hmm. So either we communicate it clearly and we rally a community behind it to support it. Or we continue to be underwhelmed by mediocre people delivering average shit because the two are not going to happen in isolation. Yeah. So yeah, I'm wondering from your travels, when you've crossed paths, if you've sensed that gap between the mind and the marketing, if there's anything there that we can do. Do you mean my mind or his mind? His mind, meeting your mind. His would have all this near vision and technology, True. yours would be the potential of the marketing and how to potentially relate that to more people.
0: I don't think I should speak on his behalf, but from what I see, he does have amazing ideas. He has like explosively good ideas. It just comes like in and out like every day, as you probably have witnessed as well. It's just. Crazy. I respect everything that he says because he definitely under like has so many good ideas. It's just who's gonna execute them. That is definitely, and I think there's a mismatch there because you pump out ideas, but you gotta delegate to some people who's gonna execute on this. But are there good enough people who can actually make this happen? I I don't know if I should be giving advice, but I said it's a focus. Just focus on like certain things, like very important things. But it's really hard to have the octopus style network of ideas, but you just can't like focus, then it's not gonna have a strong narrative, period. I think it's also very important to come across at least one single strong message and then put it out there, rather than having the full picture of diverse ideas, but weak all together. And as his also comes down to decentralization, decentralized organization structure. And honestly, for my beliefs, In running events, event organization has to be centralized. And that's, I know it's like unpopular, but whatever. It is true. (laughs) For event organizers, we all agree. Okay, it has to come. How is that unpopular? It's popular, right? That is
1: the most logical thing in the world. I would throw money into a DAO and see some poor fucker try to organize (laughs) an event in a decentralized way. That's impossible.
0: Mm, I've written this this many times. I'm not involved in it because I know it's not going to work. It's not going to work. And it has to come from one brain, at least one for one brain, and then it can, they can delegate it, whatever. But I think the whole vision, the whole narrative has to come from one brain. That's just my perspective. And I've seen so many good examples of that, valid examples of distributed visions or whatever executions. And also it comes down to marketing too. Marketing DAO, I don't know, I don't know if I feel good about that. I, I, I just, the concept of having, I don't know, it's just, it's just. It's it's a little weak to me. I don't know. It, it has to be a little bit more. Marketing is all about having a strong message and keeping true to that, and having like supporting you know initiatives that like or campaigns that support that one single narrative, at least for the nearest term, and then move on to the next next phase, I guess. But then, and also like slipping some alpha that always helps. You don't want to be bluffing too much, but at least you can slip something, right? And to keep the expectation rate going. And just Thank people, you, like, that's what I'm saying. Like Excited about the footprint. Like, hey, oh, this is what they're up to. Let's, you know, the the emojis were like the eyeballs there, like like that kind of thing. I think that's definitely needed to some degree. And so if some people do that, like as a marketing, it's it doesn't even cost money. It's just like literally just like slipping some things out there. These things, they don't even cost money, but they can actually add value and they can create a ripple effect. and it can keep the narrative going. It's not about just throwing some agenda out there in like Facebook advertisements or Instagram advertisements. I really don't think that's the idea. Like that shouldn't be the case. It should be, I don't know. It could be more clever. I think it could like, yeah,
1: I don't know. I I 100% agree with you. That's why we need you. My message to the community is, to the hundreds of thousands listening to this, we are at that point in time in near where if you see something and you don't like it, it's because probably it is incorrect and now is the time to fix it. Marketing DAO starts with the vision of funding passion projects. Yeah. Who's active in the community doing great work will just reward them or recognize them for it. As a grant making body over time. It really needs to be updated in its vision, in its mission, in its leadership. The truth is, I wrote the charter. The marketing DAO has the power and the ability and the mandate to identify trends, to create bounties, to decide which areas to allocate money to. If they keep handing out shitty grants to projects that make no difference, that's something that should be revised. And as you say, it's okay to identify areas of interest. It's not really a DAO. I guess the money is flows from the community treasury this is where engineering meets marketing and meeting may be a generous term and in fact Ilya put up a, a twitter poll recently saying what do you prefer narrative or substance i saw that yeah what do you think about the framing of the question
0: <laughs> i don't think he was trying to be a dichotomy dichotomy there i think it was more like what do you prefer Bieber more i put more emphasis more I think people were trying to say, "Oh, we want both," which is true. We want both. So was it substantive substantive narrative or something like that? It was like something like that. I think people wanted to have that, which I agree as well, and I think probably he would agree too.
1: The poll should have been narrowed a little bit to what do you prefer right now, mm. and what do you prefer right now, I'm assuming, for the near ecosystem? Because obviously if we look if you ask me the same question about Cardano, I'll be like, "No, I actually want substance." Without narrative for too long, in this particular context, Hmm. there would be things that I want to see in place before I feel comfortable being around and and dedicating my life, work to this. In there, it's like the opposite. We've got pretty strong substance. I think that right now we need a narrative. And uh, I, I think that's what he may be struggling to reconcile in his head. Yeah, we don't have a narrative, but we've got substance. And the people that do have narratives don't have substance. It's easier for us to figure out a narrative than it is for them to figure out the substance. So it's fine to acknowledge that we may be a little bit behind, but it should be an area of focus.
0: I totally agree. And honestly, because I see so many protocols out there, I see so many layer ones out there. And I've been working with a lot of them indirectly or directly. Every protocol suffers this very question. Everybody has their own pain points. Nobody's perfect. Even all the foundations, they all suck. Uh, No offense. Uh, They all suck. It's just like they have their own (laughs) problems. They have their own problems. Like everybody, like the DAO issues, the funding issues. It's not only near. It's also like stems from all different protocols. And they just and in the point in time where like one project is only like putting all the money in marketing, but they don't have the back end that supports it and. So they're frantically trying to like, you know, so there are many teams like that, which is also a very big problem.
1: I'd like to get your thoughts on this because my perception is that the problem is magic money. So if we go back to the beginnings, there's Bitcoin, there's a network and Bitcoin isn't really worth much. And it takes a long time to build that belief and the use case for it to become more valuable to some people. Fast forward. 2018, 2020, 2021, we almost flipped the order of events. First, create the money, magic money. Now these foundations have hundreds of millions or billions like Aurora did on a treasury on paper, but the infrastructure that is meant to be backing up that value or that value generation machine is not there. I feel like that's a pressure. and and where a lot of these foundations get lost. They've got a lot of money. The issue is actually worse because they've got real money that they generated by selling magic money. So there's almost like this race to the bottom of see who can spend more money in either desperate attempts to actually drive growth or pretending like they're trying to drive growth and fuck it, if the money runs out, we just call it a day and shut it down, like it's hard. Honestly, at some point, I think that it'd be better if it were a startup. Mm -hmm. Get rid of all community funding, nuke the entire community treasury. Mm -hmm. Let's meet with a whiteboard and think like normal people do. What problem do we want to solve? How do we generate value? And if we had to go out and raise money, what can we show? Traction, validation?
0: 100%. No, that's a more simpler, normal model. I think the current structure is very disorganized, and just painful. It seems ideal, but as you, I think we can all agree, like the governance structure, everything doesn't really go according to plan. It seems good on paper, but then well, how can it actually execute when you have to decide on really important decisions? And also when it comes down to deciding on a single narrative of, the pro- of a huge protocol. And I think having the, the members and foundations and NDC, the, a lot of people to coordinate with, Coordinating amongst humans is the hardest thing ever. I think it's coming from different backgrounds, different areas, expertise, everything's different. But then like ha- deciding a huge pool of money where to spend it on amongst that group is, is really painful. Not to criticize anything, but it's just like really, I, like theoretically and theoretically is fine, but then realistically it's, it's gotta be very painful. And we've, we're seeing that in action too. And it is hard enough. When you
1: actually have the right intention and you try your best, it's 10 times harder when you're actually a borderline corrupt and opportunist. I've heard some stories from some foundations and it's just appalling. Mm -hmm. Erica, I'm mindful of your time, so I'm going to have a rapid fire question. I'm watching a TV series now called Travelers. Pretty good. I would recommend it. Okay. In a nutshell, in the distant future, there is a very powerful AI called the director, and this director sends people back as travelers to basically correct the timeline. Apparently things went really wrong at some point. That is a really shit-like way to say human coordination is very hard. And we've seen that since the beginning of history, but there is a notion in the near ecosystem that Ilya has spearheaded around having AI being a very strong counterpart or complementing the power of blockchain. Any thoughts on that vision?
0: I support it, like 100%. I think it's a very powerful vision and it goes back to his roots. He has already had this vision since day one because of Near AI. Even before Near AI, he had numerous opportunities to handle it. He's he's an expert there. Not playing around with the huge keywords AI and blockchain. I think it's literally he's the only one who can actually execute it. And then also perfect that vision because that he has what it takes to do it. And so, and I think definitely AI and blockchain can be complementary, and it can definitely yeah, blockchain technology can suffice for some gap holes that AI cannot can take advantage of. For example, edges of data exploitation and just manipulation, and just many things that blockchain can technology can validify. Or so I think in that sense, it can definitely uh, have some powerful results and so an impact on the industry and both industries even when i talked to some ai researchers and like just randomly in korean -Korean, non-korean they definitely are looking into like how it can complement each other and so it's not just a vision i think people are doing cross-sectoral opportunities they're seeking like what can be done to accelerate this synergy effect and yeah for me when he tweeted that out, I was like, "Yeah, this is what we're talking about here. This is like how you do marketing." Next one,
1: <laughs> you've mentioned Solana Summer of Love and all the hackathon houses they had around the world. Hmm. Given some alpha on uh, Asia broadly, and hmm. then Planet. During our call last week, Ylia mentioned that he is kind of look warm on hackathons. There are some shortcomings. Hmm. Too short maybe entry level participants, younger. And he said something that was hilarious because we've mentioned in the podcast many times, he would favor a, a structure or a project or a program that it's longer term, like an actual hacker house, residential. People yeah. spend any amount of time, four weeks, and it can be very product centric and get people actually building something that it's meant to escalate into the next tier. And if you were to join this question. With the previous one has got this vision of like a little ai ceo mm-hmm. and i was asking like oh i wonder what the minimum viable product for a small company being run by an ai mm-hmm. so the question is can you help me organize a residential experience <laughs> where we get a, an ai ceo
0: that's definitely a venue that i would love to tap into i've seen as on, on I, what they're doing is basically similar it's a small experiment by Vitalik, but the vision is similar. It's not a hackathon, like it's not a two-day bang-it-out hackathon. It's more like you spend the time with the people and you do ideations and you have cross like seminars, small intimate sessions and mentoring probably. It definitely makes sense. It's just a lot of resources that should be taken into account and a lot of time constraints and locational restrictions. But that said, that's played out well and there are enough resources to support it. I think it's that's the right direction. At least you should try. I think it's worth a try for sure. And because it definitely takes time to build, learn to build on it and not, should also get the proper mentoring that people deserve and to really fully on board. And the time is, of course, a big pain. Yeah, of course. That'd be interesting to look into. I'd never done it before. So it's like a new venue for me. Yeah. You live, you love, you learn. Exactly. But
1: yeah. You mentioned before the... Austerity approach, I think I'm very similar. And I think a lot of the new NTC management are coming in with similar views. I think this would be a great example of creating something new that sure, it has a price tag attached to it, but enables us to compare, okay, how much is this costing and how much value is it generating and how much were we spending before and what was the outcome because. Right now, the House of Marriage is debating a budget of $3 million in three months. And that's when you realize well, what the fuck are we spending the money on? If there are $3 million to be spent in the next three months, you and I need to get on a call and find a castle in France and make this event happen because, once again, it's the value creation. Mm. And this is a fantastic segue to my next question. I've teased too many guests by now, actually. This is overdue on my to do list, but I'd like to create a product and user experience community on Nier, getting people really thinking about that application layer and I guess servicing all the core stack pieces that are finally coming together. Over the weekend, I think I came up with a tentative name, MAD, Mass Adoption DAO. MAD. Would you like to be a founding member? Can I sign you up? You have got 30 seconds to commit. yay,
0: nay? Yay, but FYI, there is a mom and dad DAO called MAD. There's a MAD DAO. It's not a DAO. It's not an actual DAO, but there is a... What is their scope? Oh, no, it's a group chat. It's a group chat of mom and dads in crypto. And I'm in it, so I'm just-
1: It is great branding. And I am happy to know that there is not also a one-to-one overlap in the scope of what they cover. Yeah, um, of course, yeah. And no so problem. we may be able to get away with there being two mad DAOs. If it mm. does become an issue, I'm happy to think of other alternatives.
0: No, I'm sure it's not a DAO. It's just more like a script chat. i just letting you know that there it could be abbreviated as that. So just letting you know. But sounds... I personally
1: love the idea mm. about people that are mad about mm. building mm. the future and really putting in the time and the work to think of how to solve big problems. Especially, it seems like one of the challenges that we have with marketing is that because many of the pieces of the core tech stack have been scattered, like they've been progressively coming online, it's been hard to fully illustrate that final vision. And while I'm sure that the Genius Dragon has more pieces to the puzzle that will keep dropping, I finally feel like we've got a really solid stack yeah. to be able to ideate some Real world solutions in a way that were not possible before in web three. So if possible, I'd love to count you in and my people will contact your people. Sounds good. So here? Erica, thanks yeah. so much for your time. Do you have any other parting yeah. thoughts? Any final alpha? I think I could give
0: enough alpha at this point, but, but uh, no, it was, it was so enlightening. It was fun. And I think just laying out what's needed. And- I think it's also cleared my mind as well. And it's been really helpful because it's not, I also said, I was saying, I just execute all the time. It's really, I don't find the time to actually lay out all the components that need help. Like basically, just, you know, it was a good brainstorming session, I feel like, as well, um, and could sing out uh, session. So yeah, it was really good. Yeah, I think I'll be more involved in the near ecosystem directly, indirectly, whatever you know, the scope is. But see your near con. As well. Great news.
1: (laughs) We'll see you at NIRCON. And yeah, Australia is a lovely place. If you need a place to to seek refuge, well, I guess the alternative is freezing in Seoul. No,
0: I heard amazing things about Australia in the winter. A lot of Koreans go there in the winter. Nice. Enough to visit, for sure. And
1: Erica, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. That's the end of another episode. As always, I just want to thank you for listening because, let's be honest, you are amazing. And I also want to remind everyone that everything contained on this episode is for entertainment and educational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast shall be construed as financial, medical, or any other type of advice, and you should always consult with licensed professionals before making any financial decisions. Make sure that you like and subscribe so that you stay up to date with the latest episode. We've got a steamy hot pipeline of guests that will keep you entertained right through the bear market. Stay safe out there, and I'll see you soon. Bye.